The opinions expressed in the following episode do not necessarily reflect those of the Minds of Madness podcast. Listener discretion is advised. We've all heard the phrase, to walk a mile in someone else's shoes, the grade school admonition encouraging us to empathize with others and to understand their circumstances before forming opinions. But for others, walking a mile in someone else's shoes can mean something completely different, like stepping into a role, playing a character, or completely embodying the persona of another person. And within the niche subculture of cosplay enthusiasts, they take this art form to a whole other level. In this world where fantasy and reality intertwine, one woman's extraordinary journey captivated millions. She was a cosplayer, cam girl, and an online sensation who brought fictional characters to life with a seductive twist. With a seemingly perfect life and a devoted following, she embraced the art of transformation effortlessly, slipping into different roles. But behind closed doors, the cracks in her real-life relationships grew deeper, leading to a tragic climax no one saw coming. Join me now as we uncover the story of Melissa Turner and the tragic death of Matthew Trussler. You'll hear how behind the allure and carefully crafted personas of the theatrical world they lived in, a deadly storm was brewing. In the vibrant world of cosplay, a realm where imagination meets craftsmanship, ordinary individuals transform themselves into extraordinary characters. Cosplay, short for costume play, is an art form that has captured the hearts and minds of enthusiasts all around the globe. At its core, cosplaying is the embodiment of fictional characters from various realms, but it goes far beyond dressing up and simply wearing a costume. It's a transformative experience that allows individuals to step into the shoes of their favorite heroes, villains, or even creatures from the realms of fantasy and science fiction. Among those drawn to this fantasy world was 26-year-old Melissa Turner. By the time she reached her mid-twenties, Melissa was well-known in the virtual world of cosplay for running a lucrative blog, a blog featuring provocative content often pornographic in nature, while dressed up as different characters. In doing so, she gained a mass of online followers who all paid to watch her perform. Melissa relished in the online success of being a cosplaying cam girl. Not only was she living out her dream of fantasy and acting, but she was making money hand over fist as well. But, her life wasn't always as picturesque as it was in her 20s. Born in 1992, Melissa was raised by a supportive and loving family, primarily in Florida. But during her otherwise comfortable upbringing, 
she became the victim of abuse at the hands of a relative. According to Melissa, this caused her to seek comfort in food as a coping mechanism, which eventually turned into a compulsive eating habit. By the time Melissa reached high school, she weighed approximately 250 pounds, which led to bullying at school and a growing sense of low self-esteem and loneliness. But when Melissa turned 18, she made the decision to take control of her life and her eating habits. She enrolled in a Pennsylvania college to study special effects makeup for entertainment productions. She also started her own fitness blog, where she documented her dramatic personal weight loss journey. By the time she turned 21, she'd earned her degree and lost an impressive 90 pounds. During her time at college, Melissa met her first serious boyfriend, a guy named Cameron, who also had been studying special effects. In 2013, the happy couple moved to Tampa Bay, Florida to chase their dreams in the field of entertainment. Empowered by her newfound confidence stemming from her slimmer physique and expertise in makeup effects, she began modeling and performing in cosplay competitions. With her growing confidence and the upward trajectory of her career, Melissa's social life blossomed as well. A stark contrast to her lonely teenage years, she was invited out to all kinds of social events, rubbing shoulders with new friends and industry professionals. And it was during one of these social events where Melissa met a woman who would change her life because this woman introduced her to the world of webcam sex work. Women who do webcam sex work are often referred to as cam models or cam girls, and perhaps it's easy to understand why some women would be interested in doing such work. They get to set their own hours, usually working from home, and have the potential to make a lot of money. So when Melissa was presented with the benefits of being a cam girl, she was immediately interested. Within days, Melissa had created a profile using the moniker Toothorn Rose and started her career as a pornographic webcam model. For the next two years, Melissa's income soared, as well as her online following, who were all too happy to pay for the adult content Melissa was producing. But eventually, Melissa knew she needed to come up with a long-term strategy to stay relevant in the industry. And she did this by establishing her own pornographic website, twothornedrose.com, where she produced and filmed their own adult films that often blended the worlds of cosplay, fantasy, and of course, sex. With her new strategy, Melissa began raking in thousands of dollars per month, but Melissa and Cameron saw an opportunity to make even more money. Together, they established a home film studio where they rented out film equipment as well as space for other webcam models to film their streams and other content. The additional revenue stream was very lucrative, but over time, the extra stress and workload became a burden on Melissa and Cameron's relationship. Eventually, their relationship crumbled along with their side business. But in April of 2017, Melissa rebounded by finding new love, a romance that started with a single swipe of a finger on Tinder, matching her with 23-year-old Matthew Trussler. Matthew was relatively new to Tampa Bay, 
moving there from Massachusetts just two years earlier. And the reason he'd made the move was because Matthew felt he needed to make a dramatic life change. Back in Massachusetts, Matthew had worked as a general manager at a local Italian restaurant. And although he made decent money, Matthew felt he was stuck in a rut in the restaurant industry. He was also aware of his own personal struggles with heavy substance abuse and knew he needed a change of scenery. So in 2015, he decided to follow his older brother Sean's footsteps by leaving Massachusetts and moving to Tampa Bay to work alongside his brother in construction. Matthew worked in Florida for two years before crossing paths with Melissa Turner, and their romance blossomed quickly, both personally and professionally. Before long, Melissa even had Matthew performing in many of her pornographic videos as well. By January 2019, their combined incomes allowed the couple in their mid-twenties to purchase a stunning two-story, four-bedroom house nestled in a quiet neighborhood in Riverview, Florida. And before long, Melissa was making so much money that Matthew was able to quit his day job, becoming somewhat of a homemaker, taking on the cooking, cleaning, and performing handyman duties around the house. And Matthew appeared content with the direction his life had taken in Florida. This sentiment was evident in a Facebook post he shared in 2019, where he expressed gratitude saying, quarter of a century later, I've got a mortgage, a pup, four fur babies, and a wonderful girl. I'm a happy man. But beneath the facade of this picture-perfect couple they were portraying on social media, turmoil was brewing behind closed doors, with neighbors catching glimpses of heated arguments and piercing screams echoing through the walls of their lavish home. For Matthew Tressler and Melissa Turner, October 17, 2019 began like any other day. They started their day off with work and exercise, ran some errands, and settled down in their cozy kitchen for a relaxing lunch, a delicious steak Matthew prepared. Neither of them knew this would be the last full day they'd spend together. The following morning, on October 18th, their entire house would be swarmed by emergency responders after Melissa called 911 at 8.45 a.m. When authorities arrived, they discovered Melissa distraught and covered head to toe in blood. Outside in the backyard patio near the pool, they found the lifeless body of her fiance, Matthew Trussler. His arms were marked with multiple lacerations and a profound wound was visible in the center of his back. Melissa claimed she had no idea how he ended up in such a condition. According to her, she woke up that morning only to find the kitchen in a bloody mess before discovering Matthew dead outside. She also stated that just before calling 911, she tried resuscitating him with CPR, which she claimed was why she was covered in his blood. When first responders first looked at Matthew's body, he was lacking color and rigor mortis was already setting in. To them, it was clear he'd been dead for at least a few hours now, which meant there'd never been any hope of Melissa reviving him. Soon, Melissa was taken in for questioning at the Hillsborough Sheriff's County office. 
One of the first things detectives at the station noticed when Melissa walked in were the orange latex gloves she was wearing. A deputy back at the crime scene had asked her to put them on in order to sign a document since her blood-covered hands would have imprinted on the paper. Naturally, the detectives asked Melissa if she'd like to take them off for their interview, but oddly, Melissa chose to keep them on. Before beginning the interview, detectives wondered whether Melissa might still be inebriated, perhaps from the night before. Do you know where you're at right now? Yes. Uh, do you know what's going on? Yes. Are you under the influence of any drugs or alcohol? In fairness, when I was talking to you earlier back at, at the house over there, I smoked a little bit of alcohol in your breath. We were Did, drinking last night. No, that's fine. And there's nothing wrong with drinking. I just want to make sure that I cover that so I know what your state is when I'm asking you questions. Yeah, like no, that. we were drinking last night, okay. but I'm, obviously not since I woke up. <laughs> When's the last time you had a drink? Probably 10-ish last night, 10 to 30 maybe. Don't, I'm not trying to pick on you, and I don't want you to get upset with me. I'm just trying to cover it. I, for, in fairness to you, I can smell it, so I don't want to... Listen, the only thing I have in this world is my word. I am not. I don't want to play any tricks or anything. I can smell it, so I wanted to ask you about it. Well, is that fair? That's fine, because, I mean, I, I get up early all the time before 4.30 in the morning. So by 10, 10 o'clock at night, I'm normally spent, and I... And I I told the whoever I was talking to there that I just I remember just being tired. Yeah, we were drinking, but I just remember being tired and curling up in the chair. According to Melissa, she'd spent the evening drinking vodka and taking shots with Matthew. Eventually, she told Matthew they should stop and take a break to have dinner. I mean, I got drunk, yeah, but not obliterated you know like I would say I was beyond being just buzzed because we did get drunk but that's I mean that's what we did we just we were there at the house ourselves that's what we would do on a night when uh, we didn't have to get up and do anything the next morning we had drinks he always liked drinking he was a drinker did he have a, would you say he had a drinking problem or no he had a drinking problem I can't bullshit you. I mean, his mom will tell you the same thing. He did. He would have been it himself. What about you? Me? No. The detective asked Melissa if there'd been any drug consumption that night, and she adamantly denied any drugs were involved. He knew if he touched anything like that again that he would lose me. Okay. That was my number one deal breaker with him. I'm assuming. So, you know, the drug police, he was not shy about it in his past when he was younger. He was into hard drugs. Okay. But it's been years since then because he knew that was my number one deal breaker. He touched it again. We were done. I didn't give a shit. That was it. What kind of drugs was he into previously? <sighs> Heroin mostly. Um, I didn't know him at the time that he was on drugs. This is him telling me about his past. He smoked meat all the time. He was into heroin, coke, uh, every now and then maybe. I don't know anything else, really. Okay. But it had been a solid three years since he had touched any of it. Detectives naturally wanted to know 
all the details about Melissa and Matthew's last day together, so they asked her to tell them everything that had happened before she claimed she'd fallen asleep in a big chair in her office. I got up at 4 a.m., got up, got ready, my makeup and everything, got on, I did, got on camp, did my work, logged off around 9.30 in the morning. And, and then I went and I put on my workout clothes um, and he was awake. He put on his too because we had, we had just gone and gotten um, new shoes together, new Nikes, so he could, we could work out together and everything. So we got dressed and we took the dog on a walk. So it was a 30-minute walk around the neighborhood. After walking the dog, they came back home to work out, did the dishes, and showered. They went to Home Depot, then Publix, before returning home to cook lunch. Throughout the day, they drank beer. In the evening, they did some cleaning and played cards. That's when they began taking shots. The detectives interviewing Melissa gave her every opportunity to let them know if there'd been any friction at all in their relationship. But every time they did, Melissa denied it. We were talking We were talking about that. We talked about the Halloween decorations a bit more. We talked about vacations and what we wanted to do and, you know, kind of just trying to sort our lives out kind of thing, like make sure we had a clear path with what we wanted to do with our lives. Are you all on the same page when it comes to all that? I'm sorry, you said absolutely. <laughs> we wanted to... <laughs> So there wasn't any, like, disagreements or any fighting, anything like that? We didn't want kids. We had our animals. If anything, we wanted more of them. We wanted to travel the world. We wanted to just live life with each other. The only thing that stressed him out was that he felt he wasn't doing his part to help with the house and money because I did make the majority of the money, especially with him being out of a job. But I reassured him as I had plenty of times that him not just because he wasn't actually working and getting a paycheck didn't mean anything because he was at the house taking care of the animals, cooking, cleaning, helping me, helping me, helped us, helped me have more time to, to make money. So in your opinion, he, he's holding up his end of the deal just Absolutely. by doing housework and everything like that? Absolutely. At around 10.30, Melissa claimed she started to become sleepy. She could feel her eyes starting to close and her brain starting to shut down as Matthew kept drinking and trying to talk to her. By 11 p.m., she curled up in the comfy chair in her office and fell asleep. Now, getting all the details of a person's day might seem mundane or unimportant, but what the detectives were really doing was getting Melissa to lock herself into an established timeline a vital tactic that allows detectives to poke holes in a suspect's story later on. Essentially, Melissa's story up to that point was that she'd fallen asleep around 10.30 and apparently had slept through Matthew's murder. A story detectives knew might be true, but a story that might also be a little too convenient. It was now time to start pressing Melissa about the details of the next morning. So you fall asleep in the chair in the office. Did you wake up at all during the night? What time did you wake up this morning? Melissa initially stated 
that she'd woken up about 20 minutes before she called 911, but quickly became visibly distressed. And as if realizing she'd just locked herself into a timeline she couldn't defend, she immediately tried to give her timeline some wiggle room. I don't know what time it was. I don't even know what time it is right now. It's 11.33 a.m. I don't know. I normally don't sleep in. But whatever time, I remember waking up and I didn't see him around. And I, I, didn't, I saw the, the kitchen was... I didn't see him outside at first. I didn't see him there. I went upstairs and I checked the bedroom. I thought he went to bed up in upstairs. I checked upstairs. And then I came back down again. And I saw Farrah by the sliding glass door. She wanted outside. She wanted to go outside. So I opened the door. I was really... I saw him. He was sitting in the chair slumped over at the table. Melissa then claimed she pulled Matthew to the ground in an attempt to resuscitate him. When you pulled, when you pulled him onto the ground, what, what did you do? What did you try to do? Or did you do anything? I grabbed his face. I tried to talk to him. His eyes were open. His peoples weren't doing anything. And that scared the shit out of me. I begged him to come back to me. Because I can't do this myself. I tried to check for a pulse. I ran. I don't. I didn't know what to do. I ran in the house. I grabbed a cloth and put warm water on it. It came back. I did the same thing. I tried to start CPR, and then I went back in the house and I got my phone. <laughs> it was on speakerphone with the operator while I was trying to kill Detectives then soon turned their attention back to the gloves Melissa was still wearing on her hands. The detectives had to remove them, and something completely caught their eye. A fresh gash on the palm of her hand. Had Melissa been trying to hide this from the detectives all along? And that's from what? I think it's from grabbing the glass. Because I know there was the broken glass this morning. I'm sorry, this morning's not... The clearest thing in my mind. Do you know what, where? where I remember what? it was a, a hard rock glass, I believe, in the kitchen. And I think I picked up a piece of it on the floor. While it was certainly understandable why Melissa's memory of her traumatic morning might be a bit foggy, detectives seemed to believe Melissa knew a whole lot more than she was letting on. And they clearly weren't buying the idea that Melissa and Matthew's relationship had been as frictionless as she'd been portraying. You don't know what happened to him? I don't know. Was there any fighting or arguing last night? Do you all have a history of any kind of fighting or arguing? Not, not nothing. I mean, couples argue sometimes. We never really fought. We would argue. Have you guys ever been physical with one another? No. Not sexually. I'm talking about like Physical fight. Physical fight. The, as physical as we got, it would be one of us having to, you can say, like, if we got too drunk, just sit down and chill out kind of thing. Like, it wasn't hitting, pushing, anything like that. It was more just, like, 
sit down and calm down. No matter how many ways detectives tried to ask the same question, Melissa continued insisting she and Matthew had been having a good time all night before she'd fallen asleep. She even doubled down by saying, he was always amazing with me. But then detectives began digging into a detail that had been bothering them. According to Melissa, she'd woken up that morning and gone into the kitchen. There she discovered a mess of broken glass and blood, and according to her, that's when she started looking for Matthew. But nowhere in her account had she ever expressed being alarmed that something terrible must have happened. Okay, so is that uncommon if you wake up and you're walking around and see that? What's your reaction to that when you saw that? I mean, I saw it and I was worried and everything. That's why I mean, but that's why I was looking for him. Like, but I just, I saw a broken glass and there was a lot of blood, but I didn't, I mean, there could have been a lot of blood, yeah, but I, I mean, if it was anything that terrible, I thought we would be sitting in the fucking ER kind of thing, like, I think, like, maybe, like, glass got broke, we cut, or one of us cut ourselves or something, and just, we were, I don't know, just didn't clean it up, he was drunk and didn't clean it up. But to you, um, cause, like, again, I haven't been in there, but to you, it looks like a lot of blood and a lot of glass, like something happened? Yeah. Okay. Um, did you, uh, at that point, become more concerned about anything, or are you still just trying to see if he's sleeping upstairs? I was absolutely more concerned. Okay. Soon detectives turned the conversation back around to the deep cut in Melissa's hand. Tell me again how you cut yourself. I don't, I don't remember exactly. I, because I don't remember, because I remember it was this morning, because I remember getting some blood on him. I don't, I think I, I think I was looking for a phone and I was panicking and picked up the glass is because I knew it was I said it was this morning I remember that I I think I just couldn't find a phone at the time between the mess and the kitchen ones and I was just panicking that's a pretty significant cut <laughs> yeah well I was panicking pretty bad <laughs> does that look like a glass cut I don't know what it looks like I don't know okay. I, I don't... must have been a pretty big piece of glass Finding her story unconvincing and noticing she was getting a bit flustered, it was now time to confront Melissa with the first piece of information they'd been keeping close to the vest. The detectives had been made aware by a deputy who responded to the crime scene that Melissa mentioned she'd been arguing with Matthew, a fact she'd been adamantly denying to that point. What were you and arguing about last night? I don't really remember. I mean, we might have gone in argument, but it didn't seem like anything. I mean, sometimes we do whenever we get one of us, you know, whenever he drinks a little too much, but we always just, I always just brush it off and go to bed. Um, I don't, I mean, it could have been, uh, I'm not exactly, I don't know. Well, the reason I'm asking is because you told the deputy that you guys were arguing. And you've been pretty detailed about everything that happened yesterday. I mean, even how you woke him up yesterday, that's pretty mm -hmm. detailed. Um, so I would think you would remember what you guys were arguing about. That's why I'm asking. Melissa continued to insist she didn't know what they'd been arguing about. But what Melissa also didn't know was that the entire time detectives were interviewing her, 
other officers were canvassing the neighborhood, going from door to door to see if any neighbors had seen or heard anything. And one of those officers had stumbled onto a jackpot. Just across the street from the crime scene, a Nest camera was posted above a neighbor's garage, its watchful digital eye pointing directly at Melissa and Matthew's house. One of the deputies spent hours watching the footage from the night before, only observing silence and darkness. Until around 4.30 a.m., when the camera unexpectedly captured strange sounds coming from Melissa and Matthew's residence, the detectives conducting the interrogation were informed of the discovery and steered the conversation directly toward the new piece of evidence. Tell me about what happened around 4 o'clock this morning. 4 o'clock? What happened at 4 o'clock? I don't know. That's what I'm asking you. I don't know either. Why? Was there any arguing? At 4 o'clock? Not that I know of. You would know because you, you were sleeping or you weren't. I believe I was asleep. <laughs> were you asleep at 4 o'clock this morning? To my knowledge, yes. Do you remember being awake at 4 o'clock this morning? No. Did you in, get in an argument at 4 o'clock this morning? No. Or 4.30, somewhere around that time? Frank? Not that I know of. Knowing full well they just caught Melissa in a bold-faced lie, they decided to corner Melissa by revealing what they'd learned. Let me say this. So, we've been talking to the neighbors. There's cameras all over the neighborhood. There's ring doorbell cameras and everything. Okay. Okay. Um, sometimes when we ask questions, we usually know the answers to them already. That's why yeah. we're asking you this question. That's why I'm getting the feeling. Around 4 o'clock this morning, something happened at your house. That's why we're asking. Okay. What the only happened? person, I don't know, the only person that can tell us that is you because unfortunately I'm not here. Thanks, I, I, I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't... No. What what were the neighbors saying? What? It ain't what the neighbors are saying. It's what's on video. What? There's arguing coming from the house. It's a male and a female. This is the point where gathering up all the seemingly mundane details began to pay off. Because the detective reminded Melissa that she'd already told them that only her and Matthew had been at their house the entire night, that meant the female voice must have been hers. I have no memory of any argument at four in the morning. Okay. If it was at four in the morning, I will tell you right now, I did not stay up until four in the morning. I don't know, maybe it's possible he was still up and drunk and woke me up and we got in an argument over that. Did that happen? If I would, if it was four in the morning, then my ass was dead ass asleep and I don't, if he woke me up, then I was still half asleep. Okay. Obviously, the detectives weren't remotely buying the idea that Melissa had a screaming match in the middle of the night that she couldn't remember. Do you have a tendency to do things without you remembering? No. That's okay. why I'm confused right now. So if something happened, you would remember? Yes. I don't really have memory lapses. But you have... You don't remember this morning? I do not remember 4 o'clock this morning, no. By this point, Melissa's interview had already been going on for more than two hours. The second detective in the room 
who'd mostly been listening, decided it was time for Melissa to stop beating around the bush. Here, here's, and, and I'm just going to... Okay, just no bullshit, please. Well, exactly, no okay, bullshit. Cool. Let, let's, let's, let's do that because here's the thing. He's sitting here telling, he's, he's playing his cards, he's showing his hand to you. You guys played cards last night, you guys know how to play cards, right? Yeah. He's showing his hand right now, he's telling you that we have evidence that there's arguing coming from your house at right. 4 o'clock in the morning. So, I don't want you to go down a road where you say that you just have no memory of that. Okay. What, what we need from you that would probably be a lot better off and make a lot more sense is to come forward and tell us what that argument was about for you rather than say you don't remember. Melissa paused for about five seconds to consider what the detective had said, and then her story started to change. The argument was him waking me up because he was a night person, as I've told you guys. He, him staying up till four in the morning whenever he got drunk is not unheard of. I would say he woke me up, and we got in an argument over that because he was still up at four in the morning drinking. When he had a problem, he knew about it. He knew he should fix it. He was trying to work on it, but being up at four in the morning, drunk off your ass, wasn't doing anybody any good. And that was what the argument was about then. The audio from the Nest camera, however, told a different story. The argument had been much more volatile than Melissa was implying. Sounds of glass smashing and screaming were captured. A female voice could be heard shouting phrases like, so effing arrogant, and I hate you. And it had heard a lot more than that. Why were you yelling at him, bitch get up, bitch get up? All that stuff. Because he has a tendency sometimes, um, actually a lot of the times whenever he is drinking and gets that drunk into the hours of the morning, um, he would just fall over. He'd be standing, he'd be sitting, and he would just fall on the floor because he just gets that drunk. And I just, I mean, I, I might have been, yeah, so I was upset with him and was yelling at him because I was upset that he had done that again. Melissa claimed using harsh and angry words against Matthew during his drunken stupors was easier than having to deal with his intoxicated state. But some of the things she'd said seemed to cross the line of a normal, even heated argument. You also said a couple of other things like, stay down, so fucking die. What are, you, what are you talking about? That was me being pissed off at him that he fell over. He fell over. When he got drunk and fell over. How? Where did he fall over at? The first time was in the kitchen. Okay. Like near the pantry. Mm -hmm. Did he get hurt? As, I don't know, as hard as you get from falling from over onto a tile floor. Uh, not particularly. There was some truth to Melissa's story. Matthew was indeed drunk that night. While Melissa's blood alcohol was never checked, Matthew's was five times the legal limit in Florida. But her story of him drunkenly falling over failed to explain why Matthew's body was riddled with stab wounds and cuts. Defensive wounds were visible on his right forearm. A gash marred his right shoulder. A significant laceration adorned his chest. And a large stab wound punctured his back. It was clear that Matthew had endured a vicious assault and had 
desperately fought for his life. Let me ask you something. We've been sitting here talking for a few minutes, um, probably an hour or two at least. You told us that the guys were there, there's only two of you, the two of you were drinking. At first you didn't want to tell us about the, uh, the argument at, at four o'clock this morning, but uh, you did, so I appreciate that, okay? But my problem is, is I got back porch with stab wounds. Stab wounds? Or wounds from a sharp object, okay? Upon hearing about the stab wounds, Melissa acted shocked and completely surprised. But there was one major problem with her reaction. Long ago, Mark Twain famously wrote, If you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. And what Melissa had already failed to remember was that she'd already admitted to seeing the knife wounds on Matthew, and the detectives caught it right away. Earlier when I asked you when he, if he was right-handed or you were right-handed, you said he had two deep cuts, is what you said. That I saw that you on saw. his arm. Right. So you, how did he get those cuts? That I don't know. Well, he probably didn't do it to himself. And the only other person that was there was you. So I'm just trying to figure out and give you the opportunity to explain what happened. Because I'm gonna be honest with you. I've been doing this a long time and I've talked to a lot of people. And this situation, though I wasn't there, there's three sides to the story. There's your version. His version and the his version and the truth. What I'm trying to give you the opportunity is I'm trying to give Melissa the opportunity to be this good person over here that may have got upset and reacted out of anger and not her normal character or this person over here that just is mean, manipulative, raging, angry, killer, premeditated. As detectives pressed Melissa for the truth, her defensiveness escalated. Help us understand is what he's saying. I love that man with all my heart. I would never, I never had those thoughts in my mind. My thoughts were, what am I going to buy him for Christmas? I don't know what happened. If it was an accident, then I still, I call, call him someone, something. I wouldn't have let him just die had I known that anything like that had happened. I know that you it's wouldn't intentionally do it, but I know that an argument happened and the only two that were there were you and him. He's dead, you're not. You got a slice on your hand, a slice. That's what that is, it's a slice. How did that happen? It's not from glass. Finally, Melissa began letting out little tidbits of truth. Suddenly, it was all coming back to her. Talking about it more now, thinking back on it. This is from me grabbing a knife out of his hand. I don't remember which one of it was that he had, but it was from taking the knife out of his hand. And then what happened? I don't, I don't even know if I got the knife away from him doing this, but I know he had it. Still, Melissa adamantly denied that Matthew had attacked her, threatened her, or hurt her in any way. I pissed him off trying to do that. 
And I swear he'd never hit me, never laid a hand on me, even when drunk. I will not let his name go down like that. But I do remember pissing him off when I tried to get the knife out of his hand. Melissa tried her best to position herself as the good guy in this scenario, a person unwilling to let her lover's name be tarnished by accusations of violence, a person willing to put herself in harm's way just to protect him. Because that was me. That's me. If you won't hand it over, if I can't get it out of his hand, uh... I'll just grab the blade and get it out that way if that's the only part of the knife I can grab to get it away from him. It's the first time I've done it because normally I can get the blade away from him. I pissed him off trying to do it and things kind of escalated from there. And now, despite denying for the past two and a half hours that Matthew had never laid a finger on her, and just minutes earlier having vowed to never allow his name to be tarnished, Melissa changed her tune. I remember being thrown over the counter, lying on my stomach. I think in the moment, that, I mean, things, things just escalated. Like I said, he got pissed off, got a little more aggressive with what he was doing. Okay, and how did you react? I was scared at first. He always scares me. Even his voice can scare me sometimes when he takes on a certain tone. I'm not wanting... I'm not trying to be dumb about this. I'm a lawyer. Perhaps realizing she was saying too much and thinking too much on her feet, Melissa quietly asked for a lawyer. Detectives then ended the interview, but left Melissa in the interview room, sitting alone by herself for a long time. And as the gravity of her situation began to dawn on her, she seemed to rapidly progress through the stages of grief, beginning with denial. This can't be my life. Anger. Did I just get left in here now? Going to freeze me out? Bargaining. Could you at least come in here and keep me company? I feel like I'm gonna fall apart. Depression. Can we please turn the AC off in here? Can I have a blanket? It's a little cold in here. Please? Oh god, it's so cold. Am I not allowed a blanket or anything? Fuck, give me a towel. Paper towels at this point. <laughs> but there was one stage Melissa didn't experience and apparently would never experience. Acceptance of what she'd done. The last words detectives had heard Melissa say on the neighbor's nest cam on the night of the murder were, what did I do? However, Melissa would have no choice but to accept what was happening to her when the detectives came back into the interrogation room and placed her in handcuffs, charging her with second-degree murder with a weapon. 
The evidence detectives already had against Melissa was extremely damning, and it only got worse from there. There was the Nest camera recording of Matthew and Melissa having a violent argument beginning around 4 a.m. that morning. Matthew's smartwatch, which continuously recorded his heart rate, had stopped working around 5 a.m. This was consistent with the Nest Cam footage, which stopped picking up audio of the hour-long fight at 5.11. Further examination of the crime scene determined that Matthew had attempted to flee from Melissa's knife-wielding attack by breaking the screen out of a window and climbing onto the back patio. There, he succumbed to his injuries, bleeding to death near the pool. But perhaps the most telling and damning piece of evidence that it hadn't been some tragic accident was the fact that Melissa hadn't called 911 until 8.45 in the morning. Why would she wait another three and a half hours after his death before making the call? While Melissa sat awaiting trial, she concocted a brand new version of events of what had happened during the early morning hours of October 18th. 2019. She was now asserting she'd been the victim of domestic abuse. Her claim to the jury would be self-defense. Just before the trial began, the judge made a startling ruling in Melissa's favor. He declared that the jury wouldn't be able to hear anything related to Melissa's cosplay, cam modeling, or pornography career. According to the judge, those details were irrelevant to the case. But this was something the prosecutor staunchly disagreed with. A crucial part of the prosecution's strategy was going to be establishing Melissa's history of being an actress, and a good one at that. Beginning with the 911 call, where she sobbed over the phone, to the hours-long police interrogation, where she'd demonstrably been lying. This all demonstrated that Melissa was exceptionally good at playing a victim when she wanted to, which certainly tied into her career revolving around the make-believe. But now, the best the prosecution could hope for was that the jury would reach that conclusion on their own. In a small twist of irony, Melissa's trial began on Valentine's Day, 2022, more than two years after Matthew's murder. After the prosecution had presented its case, the defense called Melissa to take the stand to tell her story. It was certainly the most important performance of her life, but would it be convincing? Melissa's testimony included a litany of details she'd apparently either forgotten or refused to share with the detectives who interviewed her on the day of the murder. She even claimed that a head injury she suffered that night had caused some blackouts and memory loss. But according to Melissa, this is what she could remember. On October 18th, 2019, Matthew had gotten overly intoxicated and woke her up around four in the morning. This, she claimed, sparked a vicious argument that turned physical when Matthew pulled out a pocket knife. She said he began acting like he was possessed and even told her, Matt's not here anymore, I'm the demon. Using the knife, he began attacking himself first. When she tried to intervene, he turned his aggression on her. At some point during the fight, he attempted to strangle her. 
So in order to defend herself, she claimed she stabbed him in the back just to get him off her. The severe stab wound to Matthew's back, however, turned out not to have been the fatal wound. Instead, it was the laceration on his right forearm, which had punctured a vein. Melissa maintained the only stab wound she'd inflicted on him had been the one to his back. The rest of his injuries, she said, were self-inflicted. But why hadn't she called 911? Melissa claimed she didn't call 911 right away because she'd gone back into her office and passed out on her big comfy chair. According to her, at the time she'd gone to sleep, Matthew was still up and moving around, clearly alive, and not realizing he was in desperate need of medical attention. And how could she explain why she'd repeatedly lied to detectives during her interview? Well, always one to paint herself as the hero in her own story, Melissa claimed she was only trying to protect Matthew's image and reputation. I didn't want to do that to him. The last thing that he wanted, and I knew it because he always tried to hide everything, his drinking, his mental health, and how depressed he was. He tried to hide it from everyone. The last thing that he would want was for the world to know any of it. No matter how much effort Melissa was making to sway the jury to her version of events, the prosecution still had its smoking gun, and it was a big one. The audio footage from the neighbor's nest camera contradicted her claims that Matthew had been the aggressor. In fact, the footage was so damning that Melissa's defense team openly accused the prosecution of tampering with evidence, claiming they'd rigged it to make Melissa's shouting and screaming appear much louder than Matthew. When the jury heard Melissa clearly yell, effing die, all Melissa could do was deny it under oath that she'd ever said it. And as evidence that Melissa was fully aware that Matthew had been fatally stabbed, as opposed to ignorantly passing out, the jury heard Melissa's last words recorded on the nest cam when she yelled out, what did I do? But there was more than just audio to show the jury. In fact, there was video footage from a security camera inside Melissa and Matthew's own home. The camera sitting inside their foyer, pointing at the front door, showed an angry and hunched over Melissa following Matthew, who appeared extremely calm all around the house. At one point, she angrily followed Matthew off camera and into the kitchen. Seven minutes later, Melissa walked out of the kitchen clearly distressed, her hand covered in blood. And then, Melissa turned around and determinedly stormed back into the kitchen where Matthew was. This was clearly not the act of a woman who was in fear of her own life. After five days of gut-wrenching testimony, the jury was sent out to deliberation, and after seven hours, the jury reached a verdict, guilty as charged. At sentencing, both Melissa and Matthew's loved ones were given a chance to offer statements before the judge. Melissa's mother would be one of them, backing her daughter's claims of being a victim of domestic violence. Matthew's mother defended her son's name, calling Melissa out on her lies. The story that you have contrived has caused me as much pain as his death. 
you and I both know that Matthew was the best thing that ever happened to you. Matthew's brother Sean also spoke on his brother's behalf. For the last six months of Matthew's life, they hadn't been in contact with each other. In fact, Matthew had hardly been in contact with any of his family prior to his murder. Something Sean blamed on Melissa. This is a woman who intentionally isolated and manipulated a good kid away from his loving, supportive family. Ultimately, Melissa was given a sentence of 20 and a half years in prison for the second-degree murder of Matthew Tressler. As Melissa continues to serve her sentence, the weight of her actions lingers in the hearts of Matthew's loved ones. While Matthew was far from perfect and battled with addiction for a significant portion of his life, he demonstrated a relentless determination to better himself each day. Tragically, Melissa robbed him of the opportunity to reach his full potential. Matthew's memory will forever be cherished as a kind soul, deeply passionate about animals and their well-being. The void left by his absence is a constant reminder of the potential he possessed and the impact he might have had if given the chance to fully realize his journey towards personal growth and healing. Follow The Minds of Madness on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To support the show and get access to ad-free episodes, extra content, and Patreon-exclusive episodes, go to patreon.com slash madnesspod. To find us on Instagram and Facebook, search The Minds of Madness, and on Twitter using the handle at madnesspod. And also, by checking out our sponsors and using our promo codes, you're also helping support the show. We've got all the links in our episode notes. So until next week, thanks for listening. <laughs>